0: Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. I just want to say thank you to your pastors, Caleb and Chrissy. You guys have some incredible pastors, and they're the real deal. They're authentic. They're genuine and in talking to them, they really, really love you. They believe in you and your bright future together here. And I've just got full confession before we get into it today. I am so jealous of your building. I, I haven't even repented yet. Maybe on my way home, I'm just gonna kinda just like get even more jealous. I've, while I've been to every room, even the bathrooms look good. I mean, it's so clean and it's just got vibe, right? I think that's what the kids say today, vibe. Yeah, it's got vibe, and uh, man, I just see people coming here. It feels like home, like why would you ever want to leave, and, and uh, it's just going to be amazing to see what God does, and as I was praying for you guys, and in this space, I just want you to know, I see every seat taken. I, I see you giving up your seats for guests to come in. I see prodigals coming home and returning to the Father. I see the call of God coming on people's lives in this room. And even upstairs in Project Kids, I see kids that are learning about Jesus now will one day be teaching others about Jesus. I see revival in this room. Answered prayers, open heaven, anything can happen. I see it happening here at Project Church. And so we are in San Francisco. My wife and I, we have another location, like Caleb said. And we're actually in the process of buying our first building. Would encourage you guys to pray for us because any real estate in San Francisco is a battle to get your hands on. And there's this uh, church that was founded in 1904. It was built by a Welsh revivalist that came over from the revival in Wales. He built this church. 1906, it burned to the ground in the earthquake. They rebuilt it. And it was this house of prayer Uh, Up until five years ago, a developer bought it and turned it into a co-working space. And so we're kind of in this like Jesus overturning the table story right now where we're asking the den of thieves to be returned to a house of prayer. Can I get somebody to join me? So please do... Pray for us, and I believe God's going to answer those prayers. Uh, My family, you'll see a picture of us, my beautiful wife, Amanda, my brown-eyed girl and college sweetheart. We've got three children, uh, Max, who's actually home, part of running church online for us today. He's a techie, and my son, Jack Jones, and my little lady, Maddie, and then that's also our dog, Champ. And that's literally right outside our front door. We live about a five to 10-minute walk from the Chase Center where the Warriors play, just saying, I know you guys are close to the Kangs, but we got the Warriors, we got some chips down there in the city, you know what I'm saying? And I know Caleb's going to talk to me about this afterwards. And so uh, Champ and I, we, where we live, we go on this walk every morning at sunrise, nearly every morning, and we pray for our city. And we declare that a new day is rising over the bay revival, renewal, and awakening. That's what we're contending for. That's what we're going after. And so if you're ever up at sunrise and you think of us, please do join us in praying for revival. We believe that God's up to something good, something big in our city and across the bay. So we are in this series today called Marked by Jesus, and we're teaching from the gospel of Mark, and my name is Mark. And so if you can put it all together, I'm kind of the token Mark guy. Like, well played, Caleb, well played. I see you. I see you well done and uh it's been a while for me uh it's been almost 12 months since i've actually spoken live to people like in a room with faces and they can actually talk back and uh, so the first Worship experience this morning was like, oh, it was awesome. So much better than just talking to a dead room with a camera. And so I don't know how this is going to go today. It's probably going to be really great for me and horrible for you because I don't even know how to hold the mic. Like, am I up like Kanye or am I down like Jay Z? I don't even know. We'll just see, kind of answer it as we get going. Um, But I believe what God gives us today from the scripture can be very helpful and uh, can encourage you today. Uh, So, You can just think of me, just say, help him, Lord. Wave wave that bishop tile. Just help him, Lord. Help him. Who knows what's going to happen? If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. You can pull out your devices if you do it like that. We're in Mark chapter 12. What we're going to do is kind of talk verse by verse through Jesus' discourse with a group of people called the Sadducees, and then we'll pray and get into the teaching this morning. The Bible says, and Sadducees came to him, Jesus, and these are the people that say there is no resurrection. And so this was a group of people at that time which were known as kind of the spiritual elite, all right? Don't think Christian famous or celebrity pastor. Think more like intellectual, wealthy, influential, powerful. These group of people believed the first five books of the Bible, but one of their core tenets of their beliefs is that they did not believe that there was a resurrection or there ever would be a resurrection, and so they're asking Jesus these questions, and here's their question. They say, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, that the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. This is just a weird story. And this is probably why Caleb asked me to teach on this text, because <laughs> it's like the weir- one of the weirdest questions in all of the Bible, And I'm so glad we don't live in those times, right? And so the second took her, third likewise, and the seven left, no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died, now check this out, in the resurrection. When they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Hold up. You just told us that you don't believe in the resurrection. And now all of a sudden, four verses later, you're saying, when the resurrection happens. See, the Sadducees are a lot like all of us. We're really good at changing the subject on God. He wants to speak to us about the healing he wants to do in our hearts, and and we want to talk to him about how he needs to fix our spouse and teach him how to love us more. He he wants to talk to us about how to get out of debt and, and how to live free from that and be generous, and we want to talk to him about how we need a promotion at work. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at changing the subject on Jesus. But Jesus, he doesn't let us stay there very long. He says to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? I think that's a really good sermon title, the reason you are wrong. That could get a ton of clicks on YouTube. I mean, wouldn't you click on that? Like, I want to know why I'm wrong. But we're not going to call the sermon title that today because we don't want to be like the Sadducees. Jesus says, this is the reason that you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus changes the subject back to what the subject is all about, about the Bible and the power of God. This is what it's about. It's it's about having a relationship with me through the scriptures and through you receiving and releasing the power of God. That's what it's all about. The message version says, you don't know your Bibles and you don't know how God works. Eugene Peterson. And so what was happening here is the Sadducees, they were majoring on the minors. What was unimportant, they had made most important. They exchanged what mattered the most for what actually mattered the least, So Jesus continues on. He says, for when they rise from the dead. Hey, it's not if there's a resurrection. When there is a resurrection, there will be a resurrection because guess what? In a couple days, I am the resurrection. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, any parents in the room? If you're a parent, just slip it up. Okay, for all my parents. This is really good Bible knowledge for your kids that ask crazy Bible questions. Like, Daddy, someday when I get to heaven, can I marry an angel? No, you can't. Jesus said you couldn't. It's in Mark 12. Read it. Take it up with him. Not me. I didn't say it. Like, this is just kind of good stuff to know for our kids and for our own personal parental sanity. Thank you. If you get anything out of... No, I'm just kidding. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus, tell me how you really feel. (laughs) You are quite wrong. See, this is what's amazing about Jesus here is, is he's saying that the question that they are asking actually tells on themselves. It actually shows that they're dead. And that's why they're trying to change the subject and ask a question that nobody even cares about. Because they're dead on the inside. If you would just bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Father, we just know that you have so much to give. There's so much that you want to teach us and share with us. We just open our hearts right now with expectancy to receive all that you're giving. In Jesus' name, amen. I was so wrong. You've been wrong about somebody. When was the last time you were wrong about somebody? For for me, it was a couple of years ago. I was invited uh, to this conference in Nashville, and there was a bunch of pastors from around the Bay, and and uh, we're all to to go to this kind of cohort leadership thing in Nashville, and and so they give you the little uh, the little sheet by email, the PDF with all the people, and so I'm kind of looking at all the people that are going, and I'm kind of like praying, God put me in the room, let my roommate be one of these like wise old sage guys in the Bay Area that I can learn a ton from, right? And there was one person on the list that was kind of like. And Lord, please, with your grace, make sure that that is not my roommate. There was this certain pastor that I hadn't really known all too well yet, but he was one of those happy, clappy pastors, you know what I mean? Like he wakes up in the morning and his breath doesn't stink and like his hair is perfect and like it just, he just kind of got under my skin a little bit. Like, man, this doesn't feel real. And I'm going to be honest with you, I just don't do fake very well. And so I was kind of like, ah, anybody but him. My flight is late. I get in late. I'm knocking on the door of my room at this conference, and guess who opens the door? I'm like, are you serious? I was so ready to like, oh, nope, sorry, wrong room, you know, <laughs> uh, sleep on the floor in somebody else's room. And, uh, and, and I, immediately he says to me, oh, I'm so glad that we're roommates. I'm like, oh, yeah, you, not me. And, and he's like, I've been thinking about you. I've been wanting to meet you. I've been praying for you supposed to say? <laughs> like You are so much like Jesus and I am not. And, and then he proceeds to just pour his heart out to me. He's got a, a foster son that they had adopted that has some significant behavioral and mental health issues and, and how that's, you know, the marriage and the family dynamic. And then he tells me about what's going on in his church and the brokenness of some people. And, and then he's talking to me about how the enemy is personally tempting him. And he's fighting. He feels like he's in a tug of war and he's fighting for the call of God in his life. And so I end up ministering to this guy till like one in the morning, listening and praying for him. I was so wrong. I could not have been more wrong. And and I'm going to tell you why I was wrong. I was wrong for the same reason the Sadducees were wrong. I was wrong because I didn't really know him just like the Sadducees didn't really know Jesus. Isn't this really our problem? Our problem is that we really don't know him. That's all the problems in the world, the problems with all humanity, can all be traced back to that one problem, that we don't really know Jesus. See, Jesus says in this text, the reason you are wrong, the reason the Sadducees were wrong is because they were so busy trying to be right. So if you translate that to our culture today, this cancel culture, we're not even really trying to be right, we're just trying not to be wrong. We don't want to say the wrong thing, comment the wrong thing, post the wrong thing. And, and then we got to say something, because if we're not, if we're silent, then we're complicit, and I don't want to be canceled. So it's not about saying the right thing, it's just not saying the wrong thing. And so it can be so, we're so busy trying to be socially acceptable and and okayed by culture, that we miss out on Jesus. And this is exactly what the Sadducees are doing. They're trying to justify their faith, prove their faith, show off their faith. They're still convinced that, that this walk with God is about rules, do's and don'ts, but it's not. The gospel tells us it's all about what Jesus has done Not do's and don'ts, it's what he finished for us on the cross. Everything that needs to be done for us to have a relationship with God has already been done. That's what Jesus did for us in the gospel. And so we know the Bible tells us that he that has the son has life. It's not about rules or regulations or questions, it's about having him. And then he says here, he says, You're wrong because. Now, I want you to hear this. Anytime Jesus says because, you better listen up. Because he rarely says because. And the reason why he doesn't say because is because anytime he says because, we try to build a faith off of it. We try to create a formula, an equation, and an algorithm for who's in and who's out. Well, 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 because she did that, that's why that happened. Because he believes that, that's why that happened to him. And so very rarely does Jesus say because. He doesn't say it very often because he he wants us to know that grace and forgiveness is free. There's no formula for it. And so if I'm honest with you, I've been a lot like that in my journey of faith, trying to achieve God, trying to perform God, trying to earn God's favor that I already have. And even sometimes today, I can still wrestle with that. And so the reason that, that the culture at that time was wrestling with this is because the Sadducees were the cultural elite, and, and they, were, they were part of the spirit of that age that was driving the culture. See, the spirit of the age is what drives our culture. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he calls it the course of this world. And so at that time, the Sadducees were the ones that were driving the cultural narrative of their time. And their narrative was, there is no resurrection. It's not real. It hasn't happened. It won't happen. And then we, we know a couple days after Jesus is teaching this, he's crucified. And three days after that, he's like, hey, yo, check that empty tomb. That's right. That's what I thought. I am the resurrection. Think about that. I, I feel like when Jesus got done teaching this, he kind of like dropped the mic and then just put the fresh prints on him. Right now, now my sons—they're into Fortnite, so they're like, "No, nah, Dad." As I read that, I think he'd like dance on him in Fortnite. After you beat someone, like you dance on him, I guess. And I don't play because the one time I did play, I got danced on, and that didn't go over well with me. So I don't do Fortnite. They do, but I'm just thinking that as I read the Bible, that's kind of how Jesus would have done this. John Mark Comer says that we believe Jesus and his resurrection. That is why we believe the Bible. It's not the other way around. Paul Paul says this. He says, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Like, this should all just be this big frat party if the resurrection isn't real. If there isn't forgiveness, if there isn't mercy on our sins, if there isn't a transforming power that can change our life, what's the point of anything? Everything is meaningless. And our faith, my faith, your faith, is proven by eyewitness evidence. Hundreds of people saw Jesus get out of that tomb for 40 days. He showed his hands and his feet and his side, proving that he had conquered death, hell, and the grave. And hundreds and thousands of people since then have been eyewitness to his miracle-working power. They've been willing to be martyred for their testimony that Jesus is real. Now, why would anyone do that if it wasn't real? See, our faith is based on overwhelmingly strong evidence. Jesus is alive and well. Matthew Roberts, commenting on our current day, says, we live in an age that believes it has outgrown religion. The Bible shows us how to grapple with false religion, but is silent on how to engage the threat of no religion. So there's this growing movement in community known as spiritual nons, these are people that consider themselves spiritual but not religious. They are for the deinstitutionalization of the church, that it's about radical individualism, private experience with God, nothing to do with corporate or community or family. They believe that they're spiritual, but faith isn't important to them. I think you got to have faith to even be spiritual. <laughs> I don't, that didn't even make sense to me. 22% of the people that believe this call themselves Christians, 15% Catholic, 2% Jewish and Buddhist, they're known as irreligious. 93% of these people have not been to a religious service of any kind in the last six months. 6% of these people are atheists. 22% are agnostic, meaning they believe in God but won't worship him as God. And 33% are unaffiliated, meaning that they claim to have no faith but yet they're spiritual. What we're seeing is there's actually a new religion forming. It's called spiritual non. It's about freedom in this secular world. It's it's just another deity, one invented as all idols are, as a means to justify our rejection of the living God. Secularism is nothing so novel as the rejection of religion. It is simply a repetition of the same old human impulse to invent a new one. And this new religion calls itself progress and freedom. But we know both of which are an absolute lie and an illusion. So we have the spiritual non-people. Literally, the church in America has seen so many people during the pandemic move to that place. And then we have another group of people that I really, really love. These are the people that say that they love Jesus, but not his church. How are you going to love me and not my bride? How does that work? You can't really love me if you don't love her, because we're one. You can't love Jesus and not love his family, his church. So these people say that faith is important in my life, but they don't attend church. They're about faith practices being personal but not corporate or communal. And so the spirit of our age, like the Sadducees, their narrative was there is no resurrection. Our narrative and our cancel culture is that Christianity is dumb, it's outdated, and it's out of touch. The narrative is that the church is a hate organization. If you believe in what the Bible teaches about protecting the lives of the unborn, if you believe in what the Bible teaches about marriage and gender, you are a hater. You are mean. You are not a lover of people. You are inhumane. This is the cultural war that we as followers of Jesus find ourselves in. And I think so many people are asking themselves, what's the point of faith in church and Jesus? I need an experience. I need something that's real to me, that's authentic, that's genuine. I need to know, not just because the Bible says it, but in experience with God. And so this is what Jesus is saying to the Sadducees as they try to change the subject, he says, hey, keep the main thing the main thing. And in no uncertain terms, he says that the gospel is the main thing. It's not opinion. It's not fact. It's truth. It's not just a truth. It's the truth, the truth that can set you free, that can change you from the inside out, that can make you become who you were born to be. That's what the gospel does. See, the gospel is good news for hurting people, for scared people, for sick people, for confused people, bitter people, doubting people, deceived people, lost people. The gospel is the word of God and the power of God. It's not either or, it's both and. And so what we've got to do as followers of Jesus is instead of trying to get the Bible to fit into our personal framework and false worldview. We've got to let the Bible speak it and build it. Our lens, the way we live, the way we believe, the way we carry out the scriptures. See, the the Sadducees were actually blinded by their own desires. What they really wanted is they didn't really want Jesus. They didn't want a guy rolling in on a donkey. What they wanted is a king that would take over Rome and then oppress Rome like Rome had oppressed them. That's what they wanted. And Jesus didn't give them what they wanted because he knew that would actually destroy them. And that wasn't his heart. And all of us can become Sadducees and put words in God's mouth because there's pressure on us from culture to believe or think a certain way. All of us are feeling it. So this leads us to this current place that we're in regarding biblical literacy. Barnett did a study and they said that half of Americans are Bible users. 14% 14% read daily. Any Bible in one year people in here? Nikki Gumble, come on, my people. Yes, you are my people. I love you. I love that Bible reading plan. 13% read multiple times a week. 6% one time a week. 8% three to four times a year. Biblically illiterate. According to, to a study, 82% of Americans believe that this is a Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. Hold on a second. That statement could be no less gospel, anti-gospel. Like, it couldn't be more wrong. No, God helps all of us because none of us can help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We can't even figure ourselves out. Only God can do that. Yeah. But see how this cultural narrative has now become like a belief of Bible-believing Christians that don't even know it's wrong It's so easy to be deceived. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Not an actual place. Now, you may be new to the Bible. You may be new to faith. If you didn't know that, that's totally okay. That's where I started. But that's not where we stay. Right? We continue to learn and we continue to grow and continue to ask questions. And I think that's probably one of the things that's wrong in church. It's like we can't ask questions. We should be able to ask all kinds of questions. We should be bringing all kinds of ideas. We should be questioning everything. Paul high-fives the Bereans in the New Testament because they listened to everything he said, and then they went back to the scriptures and they fact-checked him, like CNN, Fox News style. They fact-checked him. We need to be more like that. We need to be like, okay, I hear what you're saying there, but what does the Bible teach on that? Is that Bible or is that opinion? Is that Bible or is that huff and puff and smoke and mirrors? What is that? Rightly dividing the word of truth. A considerable number of respondents to another survey to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham, not Jesus. Yes, this is where we find ourselves. And just so you know, like Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, not Billy Graham. And Jesus' hair is a little bit longer, maybe some curls. Billy, not so much. Okay, uh, this is basically Gallup's summation. Increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Now, this should not be surprising, and cultural commentators will say this. One of the reasons why it should not be surprising is because the Scripture, the Bible, no longer finds itself in the public civic space. When is it talked about in government, politics? When is it talked about in anything that we do in public? Faith in so many ways has been put on silent or mute, We've taken prayer out of our schools. We're trying to take the, the God out of our national anthem, out of our pledge of allegiance. Like, we, we're, like Everything culturally is trying to get rid of God, silence God, put God on mute. So none of this should be surprising. America's Christians know less and less about the Bible. Two-thirds of Americans are curious, half ponder how the Bible could apply to their life, and six out of 10 say that the Bible has absolutely transformed their life. These are the people that have opened their hearts to what Jesus is saying through the scripture. And so we know that we will never uh, believe more than we know. We'll never live higher than our beliefs. That we live in a culture of compromising the scriptures so that we can fit in. And what we need is we need the scriptures with the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated in such a way, not just at church, but at home with our children's, And we live this faith at work as well. What we need is we need a Bible revival. We need people that are hungry to open the scripture. And here's why. Not because because they need to say something to God, but because they need to hear from God. They need a word from God. They need to tune into his frequency. They want a word in due season to him that is weary. Well, how am I going to get that if God doesn't give it to me? If I don't get something from God, what do I even have to say that's going to help anybody? What, what, what do I have to give that's going to bring healing or, or any change to someone's life? I need something from God. And guess where it's found? It's found right here in the scripture. This right here is a treasure book. It's full of wisdom and direction and leadership and guidance and healing and faith. Everything you need, is, it's found right in here. It's just a matter of you opening your heart to the voice of God through the Bible. It's all right there. And can I tell you, he wants to speak to you. He's waiting on you to open it or turn on the app or whatever you do. He's waiting on And can I say this? There is grace to be consistent. I know someone in the background is like, I know that's right. I am not consistent, but I need the grace to be consistent in Jesus' name. Five years ago, my wife and I went to London and the Alpha Conference and met with Nikki and Pippa Gumble, and, and we started reading this Bible in a year plan. And I'll be honest with you, the first year, this is full pastor confession right here. First year, I was like 27 days behind, and I'm like reading the Bible angry. Like, oh, my gosh, got to check this off and get this done. I'm supposed to be leading this church and Bible reading plan. I'm not even reading it, and I'm behind. It was, like, miserable first year. Second year, I'd miss a day here and there, but I'd get caught up and get, get in the flow. Third year, it's like I couldn't even not read it. Like, I couldn't go to bed. It was the first thing. I was looking for it. Fourth year, I'm looking for it all day. I read it, and I'm going back to it, and I'm hungry for it. I'm thirsty for it. There is a grace available to be consistent. Do not condemn yourself when you miss one day. Big deal. But eventually you'll grow to a place where the disappointment will actually be hunger pains. Man, I can't miss a meal up in here. I need this every day. I need it all the time. it's It's not enough to read it once. It grows, and it evolves, and it develops. That's what God wants for you. So there is grace to be consistent. Now, I'd love to tell you that's all you need. Let's pack up and go home, but it's not. According to what Jesus teaches here with the Sadducees, is he says, it's not either or, it's both and. You need this, but you also need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith not might... That was tongues right there. Anybody got an interpretation? Might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is where I actually believe we are. I believe many of us, our faith is actually dependent on the wisdom of men and not the power of God. Can I tell you, our faith is so much more real and tangible and authentic and genuine when it's tied to an encounter with God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. The power of God is essential to following Jesus. It's not an add-on. It's not an in-app purchase. It's something that is essential. We have to have it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. It's not, why do I believe? Defensive, it's offensive. Why wouldn't you believe? Get in my shadow like Peter in Acts 5. You may find yourself getting healed. (laughs) I'm going to pray and something's going to happen. You got a problem? Bring it to me. Jesus will do something about it. I'm looking for hurting people, lost people. They're not an inconvenience to my tidy little life. No, they're an invitation and an open door for the power of God to come in their world and change them and show him who Jesus really is. And so quite frankly, I don't, bl- I don't blame unbelievers for not believing after watching believers. Because so many of us live in such a way where we're not even showing them anything to believe. But when the power of God pours through us and flows through us and comes on us and out of us into the lives of other people, miracles happen. And miracles shouldn't be miracles. They should be frequent and common and every day and natural and easy we see miracles like, oh my God, it's a miracle. No, it should be like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't God do that? Why wouldn't he show up? Why wouldn't he answer that prayer? Why wouldn't he hurt that healing person? Why wouldn't he put that marriage back together? Why wouldn't he reach that kid that's running from him, that student? Why would, i serve a loving father that cares, that favors me and loves me and embraces me and believes in me. When nobody else does, he does. Why wouldn't he do it? You know, I've been thinking about this. I'm tired of telling my kids about the power of God. I want my kids to see the power of God. Not something they watch on a YouTube video from 20 years ago. I want to lay hands on people in front of them and see them healed. I want God to show up at my dinner table in such a way that it shows my kids that he's real. Not because I told them, but because they felt him. The power of God. Let's be reminded of verse 24. Eugene Peterson says, you don't know your Bibles and you don't know how God works. See, if we're all word and no spirit, we dry up. If we're all spirit and no word, we blow up. But if we are word and spirit, we grow up. And that's what God's calling Project Church to do. He's calling you, he's inviting you, he's saying, hey, get close to me, join me. I'm gonna grow you up, I'm gonna develop you. See, the Sadducees, they they were serving a God that didn't even exist, that wasn't even alive. It showed how dead they were on the inside. God wants to show through you that he's alive. He wants to show up and he wants to show off when you pray. See, Jesus is inviting all of us to be both and believers. Not either or, not one or the other, but both and. All day, every day, his word speaking to me and through me and the power of God showing up in my family and my life and my career and every category of my world, God can show up. That's what he wants to do for all of us today. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. We're just going to create a little space. We say something at our church all the time, that if you create space for God, He fills it with more of Himself. If you just create a moment, He'll meet you. Because I've learned that the Holy Spirit goes where He's wanted. Anybody in this place want Him today? Want to be close to Him today? Here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to pray for two categories of people, real quick. The first is, is you're here today and you're like, wow. I want to receive that grace of consistency. Maybe it's been a while. I want to hear God from the scriptures. I I want to have a biblical worldview, not what culture tells me, or really, let's be honest, sells me. I want to know God through the Bible. If that's you, stand on your feet right now. We're going to pray for you. Right now, all across the room, if you want to go deeper in the scripture and know God through the Bible, there's no shame in this. If I was out there, I'd be the first one to stand up. I want to go so much closer to God through the Bible. Just put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you this morning. Oh, Lord, you know every person that's standing right now. You know, Lord, that that you are so excited to meet them in the word. Lord, whether it's a Bible or an app or whatever it may be, Lord, we just thank you right now for putting a hunger in their heart to know you through the scripture. A thirst for truth. Give them supernatural wisdom and understanding on how to apply what they're learning and how to live it. That word disciple means learner, Lord, that we wouldn't just know. We wouldn't have knowledge that puffs up. We wouldn't have PhDs in knowledge. No, Lord, but we would be fully trained in love, in loving other people, in living like you and becoming like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat this morning. Man, people everywhere. I love being around hungry people sign of health is hunger. When you get sick, you're never hungry. Hunger is a sign of health. Now, I want to pray for those that maybe you've never really been in or around and experienced with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, it's not weird. It's not freaky or nutty. It's it's actually super helpful. It's healing. It's real. He meets us where we're at. He speaks our language. And he's here to help. He's our comforter and our counselor. And I know there are people, I feel it as I'm speaking today. There are people in here that you've even been praying for God to show up at work. You've been praying for God to show up at home and to change some stuff. If you want the power of God in your life, jump on your feet right now. I want to pray for you. I want the power of God flowing in me and through me. I want God to use me. I want God to fill me. What Jesus did in the Bible, I want to do in my time, in my life. Put your hand on your heart right now. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Oh, would you come like you did in Acts 2 in the upper room? Oh, like you did in Acts 3 with the man that was lame. You healed him. Like you did in Acts 11 at Cornelius' house. Lord, would you come? Would you come right now? Would you fill this room with your presence and your power? Holy Spirit of God, would you fill every one of us with the Holy Spirit? Oh, that we'd be filled, that we'd overflow, that the power of God would flow through us to hurting, helpless people that are in need, that are crying out for help. God, would you use us? In Jesus' name, that the power of God would be like a magnet, that we would receive it and we would release it. In Jesus' name. I just, I just sense the Lord saying to people today, you will. You will release it. You'll lay hands on someone. Even this week, someone's going to get healed because you put hands on them. Even this week, someone, the chain's going to break off their mind because you're going to give them a word that's going to set them free. Come on, even this week, something good's going to happen. Have a seat. One last group of people that I want to pray for, and then I'll get out of the way here. I just I just really want to pray for, for people that are battling, and I feel that it's a battle uh, with mental health. You're just struggling. There's just this, this tug of war in your mind and conflicting thoughts. And you, you know what the Bible says. And you're struggling. You're trying to believe it. And, and the depression can come on so quickly and it can be so hard to leave. And, and that's all real, the anxiety. And I, I, there are people even here today that you, you even have fear of future panic attacks. If that's you, I just want you to put your hands over your, on your head, over your ears. You have the mind of Christ. We command depression to go in Jesus' name. We command anxiety to flee in Jesus' name. Lord, thoughts from heaven, those things that are good and noble and upright and just and beautiful, that those thoughts from heaven would flow through our mind. Lord, wisdom to make the right decisions at the right time. Lord, that we would have the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray for every person here that's receiving right now that... They would get mentally healthy. They would get mentally strong. They would get mentally tough. They would become mentally powerful with the thoughts from God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand on your feet, we're gonna worship. And here's how I want you to worship. Just this last song here for a moment. I want you to worship like God heard your prayer. I want you to worship like your sins are forgiven. I want you to worship like you got miracle power now. Worship like your name's written in the good book. Worship like there's a bright tomorrow. Worship like something good's gonna happen. Come on, am I in the right church? Did I find the... Come on, right now I'm trying to be like Caleb. I'm trying to fire somebody up. Can I get a Hammond V3 organ in the back? Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, Project. From the window to the wall, God is going to fill this place with people. You're going to see miracles. You're going to see signs. You're going to see wonders. This altar's going to be filled with people crying their eyes out. meeting Jesus in a new, real, fresh way. Come on, let's give Him a round of applause. Let's worship Him today.